The views expressed in this program are those of the individual participants and not necessarily those of WVUD or the University of Delaware. WVUD and UD Information Technologies present Campus Voices, conversations with University of Delaware faculty, staff, and students about their teaching, research, service projects, and other interests. To introduce today's guest, here's your host, Richard Gordon, manager of the IT Communication Group at the University of Delaware. Thank you, Jason. And joining us today on Campus Voices is Professor Dan Leathers from the Geography Department. He's also the state climatologist. Thanks for joining us, Dan. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. We're talking to you during um, a week that the legislature has nominated. What are they calling it? The I, I think Sea Level Rise Awareness Week or something like that. And what, what is going on with that? I mean, why is that an important issue for us to talk about in Delaware? Well, I, I think it's because, in fact, I'm sure it's because Delaware is actually the the state in the the, the, the lowest lying state in the country if you just look at average elevation. And so uh, I can't tell you exactly what that mean elevation is, but because of that, we have already big problems with uh, coastal flooding events anytime there's a significant storm that affects us here in the state. And so any type of sea level rise on top of what we already have just makes those events each time they occur that much worse. There's something special about Delaware, the land area too, isn't it, that's contributing to the problem? Uh, yeah. Actually, not only do we know that global sea level is rising, but here in Delaware, we also have a difficulty because the land surface is sinking. Now, the rate at which it's sinking is still a little bit up for debate, but uh, we know because of the last glaciation and the glaciers coming south, coming very near to us here in Delaware, that they actually pushed the land surface up. Once those glaciers have now melted back, the land surface is slowly sinking. And we think that the rate of sea level rise and the rate that our uh, land surface is sinking are pretty close to the same rate. So it, it almost doubles uh, what we call the relative sea level rise here in Delaware. So uh, that's, another, that's another thing that we need to be concerned about for our particular area. Talking about the glaciers just makes me think that you deal with a different order of time than the rest of us. Well, maybe astronomers deal with longer mm-hmm. periods of time. Yeah, and, and my, in, in my case, I, I generally don't deal with very, very long time periods. Uh, most of the information that I'm interested in is anywhere from daily weather back 50 years or even maybe 100 years. So that's a long period of time, but compared to the time of the glaciers and when you talk to a geologist or, like you said, astronomers, it's a very short period of time, really. So what does the state climatologist do when he's not teaching classes at the university? Uh, well, we monitor the, the state's weather. Uh, we have a network called the Delaware Environmental Observing System, which has about 50 stations across Delaware and Chester County, Pennsylvania. And we're actually lucky enough with that many stations in a small state like Delaware to have the densest network of, of weather stations anywhere in the country. So we can monitor the weather in the state very well with that network. Uh, so we're, we do that on a regular basis. We actually have four full-time people that work for that network. We answer a lot of questions from the media about weather events. We archive all the weather information, make it available to the general public. Basically, we're there to answer any questions and provide information on the weather and climate of Delaware. 
Now, this has practical application as well. I mean, it's not just observation for research purposes. Yeah, no, it has very much practical observation or, or practical uh, uses. We get asked questions all the time, for instance, from engineers about what are the maximum freezing depth, what's the maximum amount of rain that you can expect in a given period of time. Uh, if you think about it in life, so many things are dependent upon the weather. People don't think about it on a beautiful day like today. Uh, people aren't thinking much about the weather. But I always try to point out to students each year that what they wear is dependent upon the weather, where they go, how they act, et cetera. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that the weather is one of the most important things in, in all of our lives. One of the things that I know you're involved with is um, improving storm preparations mm -hmm. in, in the state. And I think that that um, observing network is an important part of that. It is. And, and also from that observing network, what we've done is created what's called the Delaware Coastal Flood Monitoring System. And this system really has now been around for a, a couple of years, and it goes from the Lewis area up to Newcastle. And the idea behind the system is, is that we want people to know along the coast and be prepared if a coastal storm is coming and there's, there's likely to be coastal flooding. So what our system does is it takes forecasts from various computer models and ingests or takes in those forecasts. And if the forecast says there's going to be coastal flooding somewhere along Delaware, we actually have a system that will send a text or an email out to people that live in that location that have signed up for, for our system that lets them know that there's a forecast for high water coming. They then can go to our website, get all the information on that high water. But in, an, in addition to that, they can also map using a, a process that we have what will be inundated, what will be flooded if that forecast comes true. And so you can actually get down to the house level and say, okay, you know, is my street going to be flooded if we actually have a tidal surge of whatever the forecast says? The other thing the system has, which is very helpful to emergency management folks, is that it has road profiles of all the evacuation routes. So if you want to know if this flood, if this coastal flooding does happen, are we going to be able to get people in and out of this town? What type of vehicles do we need to use? It'll provide that type of information. So it's really a planning tool to help people along the coast, number one, know when a storm is coming, and then number two, once, once they know that that storm is on its way, to plan for it and to take appropriate precautions to, uh, to protect life and property. Strikes me that in Delaware, we often have that kind of situation where a mile away, the weather could be totally different. I mean, really, it's that close that things are different. Yeah, it, it can be. And, and it's really big along the coast. Uh, you know, you go a mile inland, and in many cases, you don't need to worry about coastal flooding. But, but that small distance can make all the difference in the world in a storm like that. Uh, the other thing that's interesting about the coast is there's a lot of us right now looking at various aspects of the sea breeze. And, uh, you know, most people go to the beach in the summer because it's cooler along the beach. And that sea breeze is very interesting because it only extends in most days maybe a mile or a couple of miles. And so, you know, just something like that that's associated with our coastal environment is extremely important to tourism and has a lot of effects on weather, energy use, and other things that people just never think about. Now we're talking with you in September of 2013, and mm -hmm. so we're still coming up on... Coast Day, which happens down in Lewis on the first Sunday of yep, October, October 6th every this year. year. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I think Katie told me that the theme for Coast 
day this year is building resilient coastal communities. Yep, and and that's the whole idea of of making those communities safer and sustainable for a long term into the future. One of the big things about coastal locations is really understanding the environment, monitoring the environment, and and knowing what's going on. And, and that's a big role that, that our office plays in that resiliency. Also, the coastal flood monitoring system that I described uh, is, is really built specifically for that, to really help those coastal towns, uh, again, be able to deal with large coastal storms that might affect them. This also, I assume... Um, involves zoning and construction? Uh, yeah, it does. The whole idea of resiliency certainly does. Uh, that's not my area of, of knowledge or expertise, but the whole idea of coastal resiliency is covers really the gamut from environmental science to social science to uh, you name it. It's, uh, it's a very interactive uh, process to, to try to build the resiliency of those coastal communities. But it is, it's part of the picture of developing a resilient community. It's, mm-hmm. it's not the only one. And I know that you're uh, much more of a weather guy than a civil engineer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, definitely. But I think it's also interesting to ask you things like, what did we learn as a state as we responded to Sandy? Mm-hmm. I mean, that can help us with the next hurricane that comes by. Yeah, well, I think we, we learned a lot, actually. Uh, we were very lucky in Delaware. Uh, Sandy, of course, came on shore in su- southern parts of New Jersey. Really, the, the center of Sandy went right over northern Delaware. We hit a new low-pressure record for the state. And as many people already know, if you're on the right side of a hurricane when it makes landfall, in this case it was the north side, the winds are much stronger. The surge is usually stronger on that side of the storm. That's the reason that New Jersey, the central and northern coast of New Jersey, was so badly damaged. They had a very high surge. And on top of that, it occurred at high tide for them. Luckily for us here in Delaware, when Sandy came on shore, we were to the south of the center where the surge was less, the wind speeds were much less, and it hit us uh, between high and low tide. And we still had many areas that had the highest tidal anomalies or the, the largest surge that's ever been recorded. But uh, it could have been three, four foot worse, and we would have been just like northern New Jersey if the storm had come on shore south of us and if it had been timing-wise a little bit different. So I think what we can learn in Delaware is we, we need to learn from the damage that did take place during Sandy. But I think we need to look north to New Jersey and see the damage that took place there. And and that gives us a really good idea, I think, of uh, the types of steps that we need to take to make our communities more resilient. What about in terms of our emergency response during Sandy? Well, uh, our office, the state climatologist office, actually helps out and goes to the the State Emergency Operations Center. And I think that uh, our state does a great job at emergency response. Uh, it's a fairly small state so that, you know, things are very, very well coordinated. It's, uh, it's, it's very interesting to see how that all works. There's a lot of people involved in it, much more than, than most people generally know. A lot more coordination te- seems or, or needs to take place than most people know. And I think in, with Sandy and with most of the natural disasters that we've had and been involved in, uh, we've done a very good job with emergency response. Sometimes you, you hear that uh, people talk about Delaware being a small enough state you can model things here. 
to mm-hmm. apply to other states. Yeah, you really can. It serves as a great testbed for a, a lot of scientific projects. Uh, for instance, our environmental observing system, as I've already mentioned, we have one of the densest networks in the country, if not the densest network of environmental monitoring. And a lot of that is possible because of being able to interact with and talk one-on-one to state officials in in a way that you'd never get to do in New Jersey or Pennsylvania or other places like that. And so Delaware really does have that going for it, that it's small enough that you can get a lot of things done. And because of that, you can use it as a test bed for uh, a lot of very high-tech solutions to problems that might take many more years to make it to other states. Your research interests are really about weather change? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, in general, that that's – if I had to describe it, I would say my main research interest is really how land surface changes affect the climate. But anything that has to do with changing weather and weather events is something that interests me. No, I grew up going to the beach north of Boston, mm-hmm. and um, I can remember the water there being very cold, very cold. when I was yeah. a little kid. <laughs> and now, to me, it seems balmy. It's in the 60s. Yeah. Um, have we seen a similar kind of rise in – the water temperature off of Delaware, or is it? Not not very much. In fact, Delaware is kind of special in that way, too. Uh, for reasons I won't go into, just right at the mouth of Delaware Bay and right along the coastal area from Lewis south, we have an area of what's called upwelling that often happens in the summer. And upwelling is really colder water temperatures coming up from below, replacing the warm temperatures on top. And so our temperature of the water, especially during the season when most people are in it, is really dependent more on how much of that upwelling is taking place and whether it is taking place at that particular time. And that that's very interesting that you ask that because that upwelling then really affects that sea breeze circulation that I've already mentioned. And that affects the comfort level of people at the beach and energy usage and, and so on, which just shows kind of the interconnectedness of all these different pieces of the environment that, you, you know, you can't just study one. You have to study them all at the same time if you're going to get any decent answers. That's a long answer to a short question. I don't believe that there's been any real big changes or trends in sea surface temperatures right here off the Delaware coast. Now, talking about um, climate change, and I mean, the big headlines are always about global warming. Mm-hmm. And we were talking before we started this about how it's really not just this thing that's happening all over the same. Right. People get this idea that, that global warming, and I even hate to call it that. I'd, I'd rather call it climate change is something that is always going in the same direction. It's always kind of going in a straight line. Uh, every year is going to get warmer than the last year. I think people have this idea, and, and they think that it's going to get warmer across the whole planet each year. And instead, climate change isn't really like that. Each year we have natural variability that, that causes the temperatures to be higher or lower than they were the year before. And also there's, there's many places across the globe that in the last couple decades are actually getting cooler instead of warmer. And so it's not this nice, I, I think, easy idea that people have about this constant temperature increase across the globe. It's much more specific than that. It depends where you are and when you are as to what's really happening with the climate. For us here in Delaware, oh, we've just completed a study looking at the last 100 years of climate data. And what we found was is that in Delaware, our temperatures have been increasing. I think if you ask most of the general public, what do you think's been happening? Most people would say it's been getting hotter. In fact, before this summer, the, the last three summers were the three warmest on record. Uh, but this summer, that's gonna be a little bit lower again. 
So we've seen this general kind of modest increase in temperatures, but very little change in precipitation. You know, it's one of those things here in Delaware where, yes, we have seen warming and uh, we've seen some kind of very strange storms and so on, but we're not one of the the really... uh, as yet, greatly affected areas as far as temperature changes or precipitation changes. There's many other parts of the country and parts of the world where you see that in in a, a, a lot more intensely. Obviously, the changes in climate affect things like the patterns of hurricanes. Mm-hmm. As I said, we're talking to you in September of 2013, and knock on wood, nothing has come up yeah, this far thankfully, yet. Yeah, thankfully, yep. It's been fairly quiet so far. Is the overall trend to see more tropical cyclones affecting North America, or Mm -hmm. we just don't know? It's going to vary year from year. Yeah, it varies year from year, although there is, there has been for a long time, a known 40 to 60 year cycle in the number of hurricanes that shows up quite distinctly for hurricanes that affect us here in Delaware. And over the last eight or 10 years, we've kind of been in the top of one of those cycles. So we've been quite active. But as far as any long-term overall trends, we just don't see that yet. And some of the climate models that people look at to predict what might happen in the future show more storms, some show less. It's really up in the air exactly what might happen with tropical cyclones. What we do know and what we've seen lately is that, and we always have to remember in Delaware, is that they can make it up this far north and they can make it up this far north with a lot of force. Irene back in 2011, Sandy last year. Uh, I think really opened people's eyes in the Northeast again to the potential for tropical systems. This year, we've been very lucky. The systems have been relatively short-lived. They've been weak. We really haven't had anything affect the United States too much. Uh, It has been more active in the last few weeks. The hurricane season peaks in the middle of September. What I've been telling classes is even though it seems like we're getting out of summer, we still have a good six weeks of the hurricane season left. And if you think back to last year, Hurricane Sandy was right at the end of October. And that's, you know, so we still have a lot of weeks left to to watch and uh, be vigilant. You um, have some undergraduates that you teach, but you also have some involved with research, you were mm-hmm. telling me. Yeah, yeah. We uh, Our office, the state climatologist's office in Dios, we, we try to have undergraduates that uh, work for us each year. They work on various research projects. Uh, some of them this year have actually been working on this coastal storm climatology that we've just updated. What we're trying to do is keep a record of all coastal storms that have affected Delaware going all the way back into the 1800s and trying to understand, are those coastal storms changing? Are they becoming more intense, less intense? Are there more or less of them? And uh, the graduate undergraduates have been invaluable with, with helping to put that information together, make graphics and other things like that. So, yeah, I always say we, we have a, a, a group of undergraduates, and this is the case in with folks that like the weather. It seems like it's something that, that – students or, or people like from the time they're small children. I, I loved the weather from the time I was, you know, four or five years old. And I talked to a lot of students that will come up to me and say, this is something I've always loved and it's what I've always wanted to do. And when you find those students are usually really dedicated and, and really interested in, in learning more and, and, and helping out. So it's a, a lot of fun to work with them. I think, too, that um, the climate and weather, you can get down to a real micro level. Looking mm-hmm. at micro raindrops and clouds, you can get look at a big macro Large scale, level. Large scale, yep. You can look from global to 
the, the like you said, the uh, you know microscopic really, and, and and I think it's just something that's in people's blood. You know, once again, what I always try to tell my my undergrad classes is that you can't go out. I mean, that every day, in one way or another, every other major on this campus is affected by the weather. Uh, whether you're a business major, an art major, whatever, somehow your major is going to be affected by the weather. We just can't get away from it. And uh, it, it makes a big difference in our lives each and every day. What classes do you teach here at the university? I teach an introduction to meteorology and then some uh, graduate, undergraduate, higher level meteorology type courses. What kinds of things do the undergraduates learn in the introduction to meteorology? Uh, just generally how weather works, uh, you know, basically uh, high and low pressure systems, why they're there, what they, they give us in our day-to-day weather. They learn how we get precipitation to form. We then, at the end, I think their favorite part for most students is actually the last couple of weeks where we talk about severe weather, tornadoes, hail, strong winds, and then finally finish up with hurricanes. And it's, uh, you know, occasionally you'll find a student that doesn't have some interest in those last two topics. But most people, and I think this goes along with the popularity of the Weather Channel, most people really do find a lot of that type of meteorology, especially the severe weather and hurricanes, things like that, very interesting. I mean, you're right. I mean, a lot of us got raised with that. I mean, yeah. Yeah, and now students are are so it's so different than uh, without the internet. I mean, back when I was growing up, don't want to sound like an old person here, but when I was growing up, there wasn't an internet. You know, you couldn't get that up to the minute information. Now I'm just constantly amazed at how much information is available to students that are interested in the weather. Anytime they can get online and and look to see what's happening anywhere in the world, and I think that's part of the draw to meteorology is that idea of knowing what's happening anywhere else in the world right at that time, at least in the weather. Yeah. I hate to ask, but how much snow are we going to get this winter? <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you what I've been telling people more than the last two, probably. Uh, uh, we average about 20 inches of snow here in northern Delaware, but we've had as much as 72 inches and as little as essentially nothing. And so the variability in our snow is huge each year. Last year, we had our biggest snowstorm in March, actually, at the end of March. We had some snow right at the end of October, right after Sandy. And I wish that I could give you a good forecast. If I could, I'd be making a million dollars doing those forecasts. But, uh, you know, I think the best answer to that is the average is 20 inches, and it could be a lot more or a lot less. It, you know, it's just something that we don't do a very good job forecasting in advance right now. Although I did just have a, a graduate student who did her dissertation on trying to forecast snowfall several months in advance. And she's able to do that fairly well looking at some large-scale global-type things that are going on. She can forecast for different parts of the country. And right now the forecast is only as good as to say it's going to be near normal or below, near normal or above. But if you can get one of those, if you can get that right most of the time, it's hugely important to, for instance, Department of Transportation, other industries that are dependent on snow, water resources, because then they can plan for either above normal snowfall or below normal snowfall. So it's a good question. It is something that we're actually actively researching in the department. It's just, it's a very tough nut to crack. One of the things I've observed living here for now 30 years is that sometimes the snow patterns or the rain patterns, they're not what I would expect. It really seems we're affected by both 
the Chesapeake Bay. Oh, and, very much so. And the um, Delaware Bay. Yeah, I mean, we're in a peninsula, and, and those waters stay warmer, of course, than the land surface. Our Delaware is a very difficult place to predict snow. I always feel bad for the National Weather Service because, you know, the difference between snow and rain is a huge difference to people in the winter, and you only need a temperature difference of a degree or two to make that difference between snow and rain. And here on a peninsula like Delaware with the Chesapeake, the Delaware, and the Atlantic Ocean out there, saying exactly where that changeover from snow to rain is going to be in any given storm event is very, very difficult. And I think the National Weather Service does a great job, but it's just a tough place to forecast for in the winter. Does your observation network feed into the National Weather Service? Yes. In fact, we take all uh, meteorological variables, uh, temperature, relative humidity, uh, solar radiation, wind speed and direction, et cetera, precipitation. But we also have a snow depth monitoring system that we run for the state that has, uh, I think, 19 stations in the state where we record the snow that's falling, report that both to the state and to the National Weather Service. Overall, have we seen across the United States an increase in the number of dramatic floods like the ones that have happened this month in Colorado, or or is that just a, an anomaly for this year? Well, the, the Colorado, you, you can't take any one particular event and say too much about it because, uh, as we were talking about earlier, the Colorado flooding has now been estimated to be about a one-in-a-thousand-year event. But that doesn't mean that it can only happen once in a thousand years. That means there's one in a 1,000 chance each year of that happening at that particular location. And so if you look across the entire country over the course of a year, you're going to have some of these extremes just because that's what you would expect. I I think that one of the things we have seen is some very, very large events that have caused a lot of damage. And I'm thinking of Sandy and Irene and Katrina, and uh, and those are mostly tropical events there, but also some big snowstorms, et cetera. And I think there's two things going on there along with the events themselves. One is the communications we now have. You know, you turn on the TV and you can see what's happening in Colorado immediately. You can see what's happening anywhere in the world. The other thing is, is that as we have more people on and we're, you know, have a bit larger built environment. This goes back to the resiliency of coastal communities. As more people live along the coast, as events take place, there's going to be more damage. There's going to be more coverage. And I think they're more in our heads or, or you know, they, they really get to us and, and we see them maybe more than we used to 50 years ago. I'm thinking, uh, when was Floyd? Was that, what, two? Uh, it's been quite, it's been... I should have the year off the top of my head, 99 maybe? Yeah, I, th- I was yeah. thinking 1999 or 2000, yeah. but I can remember soccer fields being flooded mm-hmm. by that, that had never yep. been flooded before, have never been flooded since. Yep. Well, and this year, actually, you know, it's funny how we've already forgotten because the last two weeks have been relatively dry in Delaware. This was, in many places in Delaware, the wettest summer on record in the last 100 years. And so uh, if you think about Newark this summer, Three times that I know of, Main Street was flooded. I, I had the privilege or the unhappy privilege of driving down some of the streets in Newark during a couple of those events. And I had never seen that in 22 years before. You're right. And, I saw Chapel Street was flooded right. for the first time in my 30 years here. Yeah, it took a, an hour to get from one side of town to the other. But what's amazing to me about that is is we've had in many areas of Delaware the wettest summer on record that has followed the driest summer on record. 
And that's one of the things about Delaware that has always amazed me that most people I think don't appreciate, especially when it comes to precipitation, is the huge variability we can have from one year to the next. So last year, one of the driest on record this year in in most areas, the wettest ever on record. So who knows what will be coming next year. These are some of the challenges yeah. to face our guest, Dan Leathers, the state climatologist. And as he was mentioning, um, resilient communities. Remember, that is the theme for Coast Day, Coast Day this year on October 6th. Thanks for coming and visiting with us, Dan. Yeah, sure. Thank you for the invitation. Thanks for listening to Campus Voices, a collaboration between WVUD, the broadcast voice of the University of Delaware, and UD Information Technologies. The views expressed on this program are those of the individual guests and do not necessarily reflect the official views or policies of WVUD, UD Information Technologies, or the University of Delaware. For more information about Campus Voices and to find archive copies of this and other episodes, visit our website, Using all lowercase letters, go to www.udel.edu slash campusvoices. We invite you to tune in every Thursday morning at 8.30 for Campus Voices on 91.3 FM, WVUD, and WVUD HD1, Newark, or online at wvud.org.